Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. This is Andre from Mental Health. I'm here with Professor Peter Fonagy from the Anna Freud Centre. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? Hi, Andre. I love your work, and uh, I'm very appreciative of what you've done for mental health. Oh, thank you. That's lovely to hear. I, I'm really interested in your thoughts on what's going on here at Manchester Cathedral today, because we're getting together to kind of bring together this month-long BPD awareness set of events that Marsha has organised... But we're also really focusing on young people with a diagnosis of personality disorders. And just to start off with, kind of taking a step back, just tell us what you think life is like for young people affected by severe mental illness currently in the UK. Well, if I just say that uh, the number of people, young people presenting with uh, mental health problems has literally doubled. Uh, in the last year, you give you an idea that we've got a bit of a problem. Um, there is no doubt that many factors contribute to it. Pandemic, COVID, but also that we're making it easier for young people to come forward and say, I have a mental health problem. And what that leads to, though, is a, is a system that's pretty well unable to cope with the load that it's presented with. So. I think individuals who have a personality disorder diagnosis have, are in double jeopardy because on the one hand uh, they are presenting with probably what is the most severe or one of the most severe conditions that you can have in mental health. On the other, uh, they're widely regarded as having caused the problem themselves, as being the cause of their own difficulties. And what I would like this podcast and, and your work to really highlight is the immense pain that individuals with this diagnosis actually endure day to day. Um, other diagnoses are much narrower. You may have low mood, you may have anxiety, you may have impulsivity, but what we see in these severe conditions, a combination of these. One is probably triggering the other. And it's very hard for these individuals to actually just be able to lead a normal life without support. And how we can rearrange the services that we offer without these young people ricocheting between services uh, with inadequately met need with something stable and supportive and at least medium if not long term is really what I feel the events today are all about. Let's argue for it at least. Maybe we do not have the resources to make sure that it happens now but let's at least start working towards it. When I started working in mental health about 20 years ago, it was just as the, all the kind of time to change, destigmatizing work was happening. And I think that has had an impact on how the public view mental illness. And now young people with anxiety or depression or you know, all sorts of other conditions do have a very different experience than they did. But it's young people with these severe mental illnesses who are still you know, burdened with the blame and the guilt and the shame 
and that stigma still very much exists. What do we need to do to address that and to bridge that gap? We have to, first of all, make them feel the dignity and respect that they deserve as human beings. Um, if you do not have that, uh, you have nothing in life. And particularly individuals who present with problems of self-esteem, problems of identity, problems of purpose, difficulty in relating to others, uh, difficulty understanding sometimes what is happening around them uh, in terms of people rejecting and letting them down, feeling indignities day in, day out. If we can just stop and actually say, well, look, what is it that you're experiencing? What is it that you're feeling? I'm curious. I want to find out about it. Tell me about it. Don't let me make assumptions. And stop me if, I, if you feel that I am making assumptions. Uh, I want to hear it from your perspective. And then we're in a position to offer them what they need. At the moment, I think we're throwing things at them because we feel that we know, without curiosity, without respect, that we know what they should have. But perhaps we don't. Whereas what they need, first of all, is someone who's actually going to stop and ask them what it is that's going on for you at the moment. And that, to me, is uh, a change, a shift in what a lot of clinicians do at the moment. Maybe we have uh, many questions and few answers, but one answer that I really feel we should take very seriously is the answer of kindness, respect, dignity for fellow humans. And that's really what these young people haven't had. And sometimes, for example, when we, out of kindness, out of, because we think we know what they need, we withhold the diagnosis. We say, well, you know, what you have is anxiety. What you have is depression. Uh, and we, do, we are reluctant to say, well, what you have, whatever we call it, whether we call it complex emotional needs or complex trauma or personality disorder, whatever, but it is something more severe, something more serious that has the three P's of it being persistent, being painful, and being pervasive, because it involves the whole of them, and involves all their relationships. And to reach out to them and say, look, this is really difficult, and I can see that it's difficult. What is it that we could do to make it easier? How could we make the system change around you. So it offers you something that doesn't feel like an elastoplast uh, when you feel you've got a, a deep, gaping wound. That's, to me, the most important thing that we could start doing. And then maybe we can do something. We have, actually, the effective treatments. And today we have heard about a few of them. It probably responds better to therapies than many other conditions that we have no difficulty offering treatments to. But somehow we don't organize our services in a way that enables us to deliver those treatments to those who need it when they need it, early enough to make a real difference. So tell us a bit about collaboration and partnership working then, because I think one of the things that's really um, 
important about today and what's happened this month that is, is that it's a really meaningful collaboration between community organisations, grassroots organisations, mental health services, academics. Why is that kind of collaboration so key in this field? There are several reasons, but the most important is um, that these organisations who are giving young people a voice, I think have in common, having identified with their needs and willing to promote those needs, speak with and for them uh, in a respectful uh, way. Marsha uh, McAdam has been instrumental uh, in bringing these organisations together to speak with one voice. What we need is all organisations to be coming to speak with that one voice, which is the voice of listening. I don't know whether that's an oxymoron. Uh, probably is. But it really needs to be the voice of curiosity. Um, the voice that admits we don't really understand the full extent of your experience. But we do want to understand and we want everyone else to understand too. So you don't feel the isolation. You don't feel the loneliness that you do, which adds to your problems. Uh, I hope that that will make a difference in terms of reorganising the systems within the NHS, within social care, uh, within uh, even criminal justice, that sees to the needs of these individuals and stops us from incurring harm in the guise of help. Uh, where we're trying to offer help, but actually we offer short-term help, which actually we know from the science is making people worse rather than better. So, um, I'm optimistic that this is possible. It has been possible in other countries, uh, in Sweden, in uh, Germany, uh, in Australia, but also even in those countries in isolated locations. But at least within uh, statutory services, rather than at the moment burden that voluntary services uh, are asked to carry in relation to these individuals. I'm really interested in your thoughts as an academic and somebody that leads a mental health charity, a big charity, what your thoughts are on how we can improve the way that academia and these third sector organisations work. What needs to be done to help that partnership work more effectively? Well, it needs reaching out on both sides. Um, I think traditionally voluntary sector organisations have been suspicious of academia because academe came in, did a little bit, withdrew, uh, leaving them worse off than they had ever been. Uh, so that has been an exploitative relationship rather than a supportive one. So I'm totally um, understanding and, and, and sympathetic that voluntary organisations do not welcome academics with open arms. Uh, to be honest, I wouldn't either. Um, uh, I think academics have to behave differently uh, if they're going to find uh, collaboration. Um, and that's not to be extractive. Uh, 
not to be um, coming in, delivering a service, uh, demonstrating that it works, then withdrawing. There's this phrase in North America called demonstrate and die, um, which I think is not inept that uh, many of us go into a volunteer organisation, persuade them to do something that we have dreamt up is a good thing, maybe uh, bring in a few research assistants and uh, uh, a few trained clinicians to deliver it and then leave. Uh, with increased uh, and often overwhelming need, now much worse uh, than it was before, uh, and failing, for example, to train people. Now, Anna Freud, we're trying to be different. Uh, and the key difference is that we no longer see ourselves as primary uh, a delivery organisation. We are a developing organisation, we develop things, but then we train people. But we want to train people, not the traditional uh, graduates. We want to train people who are currently working in, at the core phase, in evidence-based uh, interventions that we know work, that they can deliver as effectively uh, as master's students or, or uh, even doctoral students, and uh, yeah, I hope this will not be broadcast broadly, but even those who have a doctoral degree, that you know, people in the front lines, youth workers, um, volunteers for MIND, can be as effective in delivering services as uh, I can be with 30, 40 years of uh, experience and training behind me. So what our aim should be as academics and organisation is to do the research, to know what works, but then actually take the responsibility for dissemination rather than being extractive, uh, going there and delivering so that those who are wanting to work with the people in need are able to work more effectively than they are at the moment. It's a game changer and it'll take some time to bring it about, but I do think that there is hope. Mm -hmm.